God, we thank you so much for your word and the way that it makes us wise, not only towards salvation, but also just that we might be people who live lives that are full of goodness and beauty and truth, virtue and honor. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning and we speak to husbands in particular, that you would call husbands to those exact things, towards wisdom and goodness and honor and virtue. And Lord, I, I pray for those in the room who are not husbands, that even as they sit under the teaching of your word, they would see uh, truth and beauty declared from the scriptures, and they too would be encouraged, and, and that we would all with one heart and one spirit understand that all of scripture is for us, from you, that we might draw close to you. And so, God, I ask that you would accomplish that task this morning, that through the proclamation of your word, we would be drawn close to you. Um, We do thank you for fathers and the role that they have played in our lives. We thank you that ultimately you are our good heavenly father, and we praise you and worship you for that. So, Lord, bless our time together to the praise of Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at just one verse today, uh, verse 7. So let's read that. The Apostle Peter writes, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Once again, we encounter this word likewise. I'll just remind you what I said last week that I've kind of mentioned a couple times in our study through First Peter, that this is one of those connecting words. It connects the topic that came before with the topic that is going to follow. And in this case, the way that the connection is made is by saying that this is a relationship of similarity so remember, for the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, as we've been making our way through 1 Peter, all the way since chapter 2, verse 13, we've been dealing with a particular theme, the topic of proper authority. So in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, Peter taught that Christians should be subject to the governing authorities, whether that be emperors or presidents or whatever the term might be. Then in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, Peter taught that Christian slaves should be subject to their masters. Then as we transitioned into chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Peter said that wives should be subject to their husbands. Now, Peter's going to tell husbands that they should live with their wives in an understanding way and show them honor as the weaker vessel. So Peter is continuing this subject of proper authority here. And the connecting word likewise kind of indicates that. What's really fascinating at this point though, and maybe you've already noticed this, is that uh, it's only husbands that he addresses as the authority figure. Did you notice that? He does not give any command to emperors or governing authorities. He does not give any command to masters who might own slaves. 
But for some reason, he does address husbands as the authority figure in the marriage. And I'll be honest, I racked my brain and tried to figure out why that might be the case. I'm not entirely certain. I have some ideas that I could speculate about. Maybe it's because the marriage relationship is the most fundamental relationship in God's creation. We see it present in the creation story before sin enters into the world. It's essential for human flourishing that the marriage function properly. And so both wives and husbands need instruction. Or maybe it's because the man has this kind of sinful tendency to see himself more independently. Um, Maybe this is just my own experience, but I think guys can tend to be a little bit more disconnected in the marriage relationship. And so Peter wants to remind them that this is an interdependent thing, and that's essential. I'm not sure, Uh, but I think the fact that there is no discussion to the other, no address to the other authority figures really kind of highlights that this is present here. So husbands, pay attention. Let me point out one more thing about the overall theme of authority that goes all the way back to chapter 2 before we get into this verse. If you're in some kind of position in authority and you are a Christian with the heart of Christ, then I think you should have picked up what, uh, the, what these instructions to authority figures might say to you. There's application through all of these verses, right? So yes, Peter says that Christians should honor the emperor, but the emperor should understand that he too must honor Christ. And yes, Peter told servants that they should respect their master, but the master should infer from these verses that he should remember the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus, who is himself Lord and master. Wives should be subject to their husbands, yes, but the husband should remember to be subject to Christ, who is the bridegroom of the church and the authority over the church. So you might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, you know, I'm not a husband, so I can just kind of check out and tune out. No, no, there's application for everyone in all of these verses as we think about Christ, who is supreme over all authority. Our hearts should be submitted to him. Now, when it comes to verse 7, Peter gives two instructions, followed by uh, two reasons for the instructions. The first instruction, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The second instruction, show her honor as the weaker vessel. The reasons that follow are because the wife is an heir of the same grace of life and so that the husband's prayers might not be hindered. So let's dive in. Let's look more closely at these four different parts, okay? First, we're told that husbands should live with their wives. Now, we're going to get to the understanding in an understanding way piece in just a moment, but can we just stop here for a second? Husbands, live with your wives. This is a declaration of the sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage in God's creation and for the Christian in particular and from the word of God especially. And our culture has so destroyed the concept of marriage 
that even a statement like, husbands, live with your wives, that's a profound statement. As Christians, we believe that God's intention is that one man would marry one woman and they would live together as a married unit, exclusively husband and wife, for life. It's crazy to even think that that's a controversial statement today. But there's a gross trend in our culture to erase the idea of even husband and wife or spouse by using a different word. You know what it is? Partner. We don't talk about even husband and wife or spouse anymore. We just talk about partners. And it's true in a sense that husband and wives are partners, but I hate that word to describe marriage. Partners. As if this was some kind of business arrangement that we engage in. And as long as we engage in the arrangement and it's profitable and it, it has, you know, some kind of advantageous uh, aspect to it, then we stay committed to the partnership. In marriage, the husband and wife are not merely partners. They are one flesh. They are one unit. They are truly two halves of one whole. And I would say, furthermore, the language of partner suggests that there's no meaningful difference between the husband and the wife. That they don't uniquely contribute something special in being the part that they are, the husband or the wife. As if the husband and the wife are really just two interchangeable parts. They're not a beautifully intentional, very different complement to one another. God has a purpose for his glory in the marriage relationship. And the husband and the wife are not merely roommates. They're not merely partners. They are a reflection of the love of God. And and what we just read from Ephesians chapter 5 shows us that their commitment to one another is a picture of God's commitment to his people. And the, the husband and the wife, they're wonderfully different so that they might complement one another, so that they might display the wisdom of God in his created order. And so I would tell you that if you're married, maybe the most significant endeavor that you can engage in outside of your pursuit of Jesus is your marriage. Second only to your growth as a disciple to Jesus, your marriage is the most important thing that you do. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your finances or your retirement. It's more important even than raising your children because raising them well depends upon the marriage relationship. It's more important than your comfort or even your ministry. Your marriage is more important than your ministry. And so make your marriage a priority. Because your marriage is a reflection of your love, or of God's love and devotion towards his people. Now, how should husbands live with their wives? Peter says husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way. Um, we might hear this word understanding and think that it means something like sympathetic or tender, right? And I would say that uh, Peter wouldn't argue against husbands being sympathetic towards their wives or tender towards their wives. The Bible tells us that we should be tender-hearted towards one another. That's true. 
But if Peter meant to say, husbands, be sympathetic towards your wives, then there's a word he could have used for that. He could have used the word sympathetic. The word that he chose here is actually the Greek word that means knowledge, gnosis, gnosko. And so we could literally translate this, husbands, live with your wives in a knowing way. Peter's calling the husband, I think, to seek to know his wife, to seek to understand her. And, and I really think that Peter is being very intentional in giving this instruction here to address an issue that I believe husbands do have. I think this can be a real challenge for men. And that's why I mentioned last week that I think it's true that women have this deep desire to be known, to be understood, to be heard, to be seen, whatever word you want to use there. I think it's all touching on the same thing. And, uh, and don't misunderstand the, the knowledge that Peter is encouraging husbands to seek concerning their wives. This is not merely an endeavor to acquire information. This is not an intellectual or academic pursuit. Peter does not say, husbands, study your wives so that you can understand them. No, Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way or in a knowing way. And so the theater within which this endeavor must take place is the theater of actual real life. To live with their wives in an understanding way then means that the husband is to engage in seeking understanding, knowledge, that allows for a deeper union in the marriage. That they might be more fully one flesh, one heart, making one life together. The husband is given the task of seeking to know the heart of his wife. Now think about this. Before sin entered the world, God declared that it was not good for the man to be alone. God made all of creation and he said it was very good. And then right after that, we're told there's one thing that's not good. And that one thing that's not good is for the man to be alone. The man needed a helper. Now I think before the fall, that probably meant that the wife was going to work alongside of the husband or cooperate with him in uh, tending the creation that God had made and bringing man's dominion over it. But now that sin is present in the world, someone tell me, what is the greatest help that a wife can offer to her husband? Well, I would say it's that he might continue in his fight against sin. That he might be more formed into the image of Jesus Christ. What better help could a wife offer to her Christian husband than to encourage him to be victorious over sin? And what is the ugliest manifestation of sin in the heart of man? It's self-centeredness. Selfishness. And so this is the assignment given to the man. To seek to know his wife so that she might be well-loved and he, in the process, might be purged of his self-centeredness to be more like Jesus instead. 
And if you really seek to know the heart of your wife, then it's going to require you to think less of yourself and to think more of her. And men, honestly, why don't you want to understand your wife better? I think I can tell you. It's because it takes work. Doesn't it? She's emotionally needy. She's difficult to understand. She confuses you. She's not like you. A lot of times she's going to talk at you with way more detail than you want. Possibly about things that you're not really interested in. You know, to my shame, I have sometimes thought that I could like take a picture of myself and get a cardboard cutout made and I could just put it there in the kitchen and I could sneak away and go do the things that I want to do and the conversation would continue, right? To my shame. It gets worse. I'm just, this is confession, right? I, I'm, I've, I have this memory, which I'm guessing is actually true, that on one occasion I actually told my wife can you just give me like the Cliff's notes of whatever it is that you want to tell me so that I can just get the, the really important facts? Like, who says that? The fact that I'm still married shows what a wonderful woman my wife is. Um, but seriously, if, if my wife goes out to spend, you know, have lunch with a friend, and, um, and she comes home and I say, you know, how was lunch? I get a rundown of the lunch almost as long as the lunch itself. Um, when I get together with someone and my wife asks me, you know, how was your time with so-and-so? I can sum it up in three words. It was good. A lot of times I can get it down to one word. Good. So here's a big difference between men and women. Isn't, isn't this a big difference? And I'm guessing that your experience is probably not too far off from mine. I may be a particular kind of jerk, but... Um, but why does the woman want to talk with her husband like this? Why does she want to connect like this? It's because she wants to be known. And she hopes actually that in expressing these things, not only that she will be known, but that her husband will open up and engage and also allow himself to be known by her. She hopes that you as the husband will engage with her because she wants to know you as well. And this is really not natural for men, I don't think. Um, I think that men generally, and I'm speaking in generalizations here, but I think men generally tend to be a little more task-oriented, a little less relationally in tune. That's why the husband, when his wife is saying things, says, well, I know how to fix this problem. We just do this and it's fixed. And she's like, no, 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 it's not about fixing the problem. She just wants to talk about the problem so that she can be known. She wants her husband to understand how the problem is affecting her heart. And Peter would have us understand as husbands that the task that is given to us as husbands is to know our wives, to understand them, to understand their heart so that we might really treasure them for the great gift that they are from God. So that we might not be so selfish and think only about ourselves and our own desires and our own needs and interests. And there's an added benefit for the man here um, because nobody can really be free from self-interest entirely. 
When God made humans, he made them relational creatures. That's why it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And, and I don't think that when Scripture tells us that God therefore made a helper suitable for the man and made the woman, that God's first idea here was somebody who could help with the laundry and the cooking and the cleaning, okay? I think what it really means is that God made the woman with an ability to draw out the heart of the husband so that together they might be known and know one another. And so when the husband seeks to know and understand his wife, he actually reaps this added benefit built into this equation. He gets to understand himself better. Because we can only understand ourselves truly in relationship. And deep relationships increase our self-understanding. And so men are truly not nearly as self-aware as they think. I think a lot of us guys pass through life believing that we're very self-aware. But we're not nearly as self-aware as we'd like to think. And so the fact that the wife seeks to know her husband is a great blessing to him if he's willing to humble himself and open up to her to do that difficult work. But regardless of whether he benefits from it, Peter gives the instruction to the husband to pursue the heart of the wife, to live with her in an understanding way, in a knowing way, so that the husband might meet a deep need in the soul of his wife. Just as wives are called to respect and honor their husbands so that they might be God's instrument to meet a deep need in the soul of their husband. Now, one more point here. Um, men in the room, I, I just want to encourage you to consider that you maybe don't think about your need to be known enough. Um, you, you probably default to thinking that you can just sort of get through life without self-disclosure to your wife. You know, I think if we were to tell, a, if I was to tell a husband, and maybe this is your response already, that you need to open up to your wife more, most dudes would kind of cringe at that. They'd be like, that sounds gross, like weird, you know, therapy stuff. Or maybe at the best, we would say, like, I don't even know what that means. Like, you want me to open up to my wife? What does that mean? But the Bible speaks about relationships in terms of knowing and also being known. And so I think Peter probably has in mind here this really important two-way street. That in knowing his wife, the husband would also be known. And there's a really uh, dysfunctional pattern that I see in some relationships, some marriages that are hurting. Often when a wife feels like the marriage is dysfunctional, she withholds herself from her husband sexually. She punishes him by refusing to give herself to him sexually. But often when a husband feels like the marriage is dysfunctional, what does he do? Well, he withholds himself emotionally from his wife. He punishes her by giving her the silent treatment or avoiding her. 
He refuses to let himself be known or to seek to know her. And that's contrary to living with his wife in an understanding way. And so in, in sin, in a dysfunctional relationship, the wife tends to hide herself from her husband physically, and the husband tends to hide himself from his wife emotionally. Because each of them understand that hiding prevents knowing. But there are more than a few verses, like 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 3. That verse says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say if anyone loves God, then he knows God. The verse says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And that's the same Greek word that Peter uses here in verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in a knowing way. And so this means our intimacy with God is not just knowing God, it's being known by God. Do you ever actually wish that you could hide from the eyes of God? Isn't there something terrifying in admitting that God knows you deeply, intimately, truly? And so here's what I'm getting at. For a husband to show his wife sincere love, a love that reflects Christ, then his task is to know and be known by his wife, to seek her heart, and to seek to offer to her his own heart, that they might be mutually known and understood. Now, the second instruction that Peter gives is for husbands to honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Um, I think the temptation here is for our attention to always just get immediately sucked into this idea of the woman as the weaker vessel, something that in our modern culture is controversial. But I think that can really distract us from the point that Peter's trying to make here. Let's address the weaker vessel thing real quick, and then we'll get to the, the more important point. Men and women are different. That difference is by design. Praise God that men and women are different. As Christians, we should not be ashamed to agree with the teaching of God's word that says that the sexes are different. And I, don't, I know that there's this made-up idea of gender as something different. Gender and sex are the same concept. And praise God that men and women are different. Generally, women are delicate. Men are not. Women are more compassionate, more tender. Typically, women are more in tune to people. Women are also physically less strong. They're more emotionally responsive. And those are all beautiful things. Husbands, isn't that why we love our wives? I mean, isn't that some of the ingredients that make up our love and appreciation for our wives? Isn't this precisely why men are attracted to women because of their differences? And Peter does not here say that women are weak. He only says that they are weaker by comparison. And the wife is also positionally weaker. If you were here last week, we talked about the fact that women are positionally commanded to submit to their husbands. So the man has the authority there. He has the place of strength. But Peter cannot mean here that women are weak. And one of the reasons is because of the command that he gave to the women in verses 1 through 6. He put on them the burden to be subject to their husbands, 
that takes a great amount of courage, a great amount of fortitude and bravery and strength of heart. And so women display great strength of heart when they obey the command of the Bible to be subject to their husbands. And so Peter's point here is not to highlight how women are weak. His point is to instruct husbands to show honor to their wives. The husband honors the wife as the weaker vessel when he uses the strength that God has given him to build up his wife, to protect her, to safeguard her. The strength is given to the husband for the purpose of protecting and even elevating that which is delicate. And this is just like Christ, the bridegroom of the church. Christ used his strength and authority and power to redeem the bridegroom, the church. But I want you to notice another interesting thing here. Peter, he's used this word honor before, do you remember? He says, husbands, show honor to your wife. But remember back in chapter 2, verse 17, he commanded Christians to honor the emperor. Now, honor, interestingly, is something that is typically reserved for people who exceed our position. It's for those who have achieved great things or sacrificed great things, those who live lives that display a particular kind of prestige or reputation. Honor the emperor because he's greater than you. But in the kingdom of God, this whole system is flipped upside down. What does God do to those who honor themselves? Well, he humiliates them. What does God do to those who humble themselves? Well, he exalts them. And so the status of the husband as the authority over the wife is really a call for him to lay down his life for her. Just as Christ laid down his life for the church. You heard it in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so the husband may have a God-given authority over his wife, but he's not above her in status. Both the husband and the wife are made in the image of God, although they're tasked with different roles in the marriage relationship. And the role that is given to the husband is to love and lead his wife showing her honor as the more delicate member in the marriage relationship, using his strength not to assert himself for his own benefit, but to assert himself for her benefit. Just as the woman's weakness is a beautiful thing ordained and designed by God to make her compassionate and tender, so too then the man's strength is a wonderful thing ordained by God so that the husband might put that strength to work in a sacrificial way to honor his wife through his love for her. So if the husband is the king of the household, that makes his wife the queen of the household. And what would delight a good king more than seeing his queen held in honor? You see? So what does it look like for a husband to honor his wife? Well, if you were here last week, many of the same things that I told 
uh, wives must do to show respect for their husbands. Many similarities. The husband shouldn't speak poorly about his wife. He shouldn't say things to her that are demeaning or belittling or destructive. He shouldn't complain about her, either to her or to his friends in private. He should not describe her to his friends as the old ball and chain. He shouldn't feed her insecurities or tread harshly over those insecurities. He should rule over her as any good ruler would use his authority. A good ruler desires that those under his authority would flourish. That they would receive good, that they would have well-being. That's how a husband should use his authority. He should honor the beauty of her delicate nature by even allowing her to help him grow in areas of gentleness and tenderness. He should use his strength not against her, but as a shield for her protection. Husbands, although you may be greater than your wives in authority, according to the teaching of the Bible, you should cherish your wife with greater value than you have, even for yourself. God has entrusted to your care the heart of your wife. And one day he's going to require it back from you. And he should not find it crushed or bruised or scarred. Rather, he should find a disproportionate number of bruises and scars on your heart because you stood between your wife and the world and you let the wounds that would have fallen on her fall on you instead. Just as Jesus bore our wounds and the husband is to be like Christ, then wherever possible, he should bear the wounds. Now we get to the two reasons why men should live this way in relationship to their wives. First, because they're heirs with you of the grace of life. Uh, if there was any question about the value of men and women, as if someone might claim that the value of men is higher because they have the authority in the marriage relationship. Here, Peter puts that to rest. They are both heirs of the same grace of life. Christ gave his life for both the husband and the wife, men and women alike, which means that in the eyes of God, both men and women are of indescribable value. And the treasure of eternal life, husbands, you need to understand this. It did not come to you by virtue of your strength. You did not contend for it. It's not yours because you have authority. What does Peter tell us? It's yours by grace. It's a gift. And as strong as the man might be in as much authority as he has been given when compared with the strength and authority of Christ, what is the man? He too is the weaker vessel. And as Christ has showed us honor through his kindness and patience and his gentle understanding, he's given us grace so that we might be men of grace, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted. The other reason why husbands must honor their wives is so that their prayers will not be hindered. There's nothing uh, mystical in this statement here, it might appear that way at first, 
Peter is simply saying that those who do not have a right relationship with their husband, or I'm sorry, their wives, can't be in right relationship with God. This is a very simple Christian principle. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John. How can you love God whom you cannot see when you cannot love your brother whom you can see? How can a husband go before the Lord with a clear conscience to make bold appeals to God when his conduct towards his wife does not honor God? Do you see? How can a husband claim to have received God's grace and give him thanksgiving for it when he is not extending that grace to his wife? How can a husband himself be under the authority of Jesus when he does not use his Christ-given authority to honor his wife? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 tells us that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. So scripture tells us that Jesus was heard by God the Father because of his reverence for God and our prayers will also be heard by God if we show God reverence in the way that we treat our wives with gentleness and honor. And so look, the principle here is very simple. Disobedience to God hinders our prayers. Disobedience to God hinders our prayers. And to restore the power of our prayer, first we need to repent. And then we need to go walk in obedience. And how can we ask God for more? How can we go to him and say, God, I need more from you when we've not first appreciated everything that he has already given us? How can you ask God for a better marriage when you've not acted in a way that honors him already? Now, certainly you should pray and ask God for a better marriage, okay? But you should also repent of your failures and take up your cross and engage in the work, husbands, of loving your wives, treating, the way your, wife, treating your wife the way God commands. Now, I'm going to close with this. Uh, and you know my style, so you know how I like to close sermons. Um, hopefully the gospel message is already clear and obvious from this verse. Uh, by thinking about the model that Jesus has given us in his love for us. But let me just spell it out very clearly for you. Christ, the bridegroom, has showed his bride, the church, honor as the weaker vessel. He lives with us in an understanding way. We can know him and we can be known by him without fear. He shared with us the grace of life, his treasure is now our inheritance. He's treated us in such a way that his intercessory prayers for us are never hindered. Do you know that the Bible teaches that Christ intercedes for you at the right hand of God the Father and all of his prayers are answered by God the Father because of his obedience and his faithfulness. And when we look to Christ and we see his love for us, then we become transformed into his image. We become like him. 
we become defined by the same fruit that he bears. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so do you long for those things, husbands, to define your marriage? Then follow in the footsteps of Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that this great work that men are called to has been modeled for us in your son, Jesus. I pray that you would simply make us more like him. I pray for the husbands in this room that they would show honor to their wives. I pray that they would seek to live with their wives in an understanding way. I pray, God, that you would hear their prayers because of their faithfulness to obey. I pray that you would give them the strength that they need to crucify their flesh, to not be selfish or self-centered, to be sacrificial and to lay their lives down. And God, I pray that as they do this, that you would bear great fruit in them and in their marriages, in their families, in the lives of their children, in our church and in our community. And so, Lord, would you strengthen the husbands in this room this morning and would you encourage all of us with the truth that Christ has modeled this for us in a beautiful way in his love for the church. We give you praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen.